This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror movies, from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. I am your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. So what is on the examination table for this episode? I am taking a bite out of 2016's Raw, directed by Julia Ducournau. I mentioned Raw in the episode where I looked at sibling relationships, but I feel like this film deserves its own episode because of some of the unique ways it really centralizes disability themes in the framework of a cannibal meets kind of coming of age film. I also just saw Drew Cornell's uh, follow-up film Titan, so I had a particular itch to revisit this one. So... Let's get into Raw. Lifelong vegetarian Justine begins her first semester at veterinary school, the same one her older sister Alexia is attending and where their parents met. On her first night, she meets her roommate, Adrian, and they are forced to partake in a week-long hazing ritual, welcoming the new students. They are brought to a party where Alexia shows Justine, an old-class photo of students bathed in blood, including one with their parents. The next morning, the new class is splattered with blood and are forced to eat raw rabbit kidneys. Justine refuses because of her vegetarianism, but Alexia forces her to eat one. Justine leaves with Adrian and later discovers an itchy rash all over her body. She goes to the doctor who diagnoses her with food poisoning and gives her a cream for the rash. The next day, Justine begins having cravings for meat, which makes her feel ashamed. She and Adrian take a late night trip to a gas station so no one will see her eating meat. Unsatisfied, she eats raw chicken in the morning and later throws up a long bundle of her own hair that she had been chewing on. That night, Alexia attempts to give her a bikini wax, but when Alexia tries to cut the wax off with sharp scissors, Justine kicks her away and Alexia accidentally cuts off her own finger. Alexia faints, and Justine picks up the finger, tastes the blood, and starts eating it. Alexia wakes up to find Justine doing this, but later tells the parents that her dog ate it. The next morning, Alexia takes Justine to a a deserted road, where she jumps in front of a car, causing two people in it to crash into a tree. Alexia starts eating one of the passengers to Justine's dismay, so she would learn. Despite this, Justine's craving for human meat grows, and she starts lusting after Adrian. That night, she arrives at a party where paint is thrown at her as part of another hazing ritual, and she is forced to uh, make out with someone. While kissing, Justine bites the middle of his bottom lip off, leaving the other party guests shocked and disgusted. Justine goes back to her dorm and takes a shower where she picks a chunk of his lip through her teeth and eats it. Justine confides in Adrian and they end up having sex, during which Justine tries to bite Adrian but instead bites her own arm until it bleeds, seeming to orgasm while doing so. 
another party, uh, Justine gets extremely intoxicated and Alexia takes her to the morgue. The next day, everyone in school stares at Justine, some avoiding her. Adrian shows her a video where Justine is crawling on all fours, trying to take a bite out of the arm of a corpse, which Alexia pulls out of reach with a crowd of bewildered party guests booing and watching. Justine confronts Alexia and bites her, eventually biting each other until they are pulled apart by other students. Justine helps Alexia up, and they walk each other back to their dorms. The next morning, Justine wakes up in bed with Adrian, but she notices blood on her hand and pulls with the blankets, finding Adrian dead with most of his right leg eaten and a stab wound in his back. Justine then sees a bloody Alexia slumped on the floor. Justine is initially furious that Alexia killed Adrian, but then cleans Alexia and herself up in the shower. Alexia is imprisoned for the murder of Adrian and Justine is sent back home. There, Justine's father tells her that what happened is neither her nor Alexia's fault. He explains that when he first met their mother, he could not understand why she did not want to be with him. Her father says he finally realized when they kissed the first time, indicating a scar on his lip. He then opens up his shirt, revealing scars and missing chunks of his chest and tells Justine that she will find a solution. Now, I know I will sometimes jump off of these episodes or discussions with a, but this film has nothing to do with disability, right? And I do that with tongue-in-cheek because there is usually a pretty obvious connect to disability and the film. I happen to feel that Raw falls well into this category, but it might not be as direct as others. And that's why I'm going to start by kind of unpacking how I look at this film as very much about disability. Following our cold open scene of a car accident on a deserted road, we meet Justine and her parents as they stop for a bite to eat on the way uh, to dropping her off to start vet school. It is immediately established that they are a family of vegetarians when Justine finds a piece of meat in her mashed potatoes. Justine isn't thrilled about it, but doesn't want to cause a fuss. Mom, on the other hand, flips the fuck out a bit and pulls a let me talk to your manager, complete with the don't you know we are a family of vegetarians? A pretty weird flex to say the least. A couple of things here though. I felt very much seen in Justine's character in this moment. I've chatted a bit about the overprotective parent trope in previous episodes. The parent that even with best intentions is taking away a bit of their kid's autonomy. When a child is young, it is certainly the role of the parent or guardian to advocate for their child, especially true for kids with disabilities. Up until a certain age, most of us experience situations where we need that adult reinforcement and, ampli and amplification to help us navigate things like bullying, flat out discrimination, and ableism in all forms. For non-disabled kids, there is usually a magical point where parents will begin to back off and let them become a bit more independent and autonomous. But it can be much harder for parents of disabled kids to do the same thing. 
when you become so accustomed to being the voice of someone uh, in profound ways, it can be difficult to know the wins and hows to shift from amplifying your kid's voice to helping them assert themselves. I've been Justine many times when my mom went ham because she felt I had been slighted due to my disability. My mom was a real one and eventually listened when I told her to let me handle situations on my own. But what makes this scene at the diner so amazing is that we completely reevaluate it when we get to the very end. Was Justine's mom just being extra? Maybe at first blush, but we learn that she's also hiding the fact that Justine and her sister have inherited a condition that will make them go full cannibal with even the smallest detour from their strict vegetarian diet. Now, I say all of, of this about the complexities of parenting a child with disabilities, but I am not a parent because of my disability. But I speak as someone that has only gleamed what I have of this experience from parents of kids I have worked with through my career, uh, sharing their stories, and of course, from my own mom sharing hers. One of the reasons I am focusing so much on themes of autonomy here is because it perfectly fits with the end of the film, the last moment, and it makes these two scenes really fascinating, almost bookends. Dad explains everything to Justine, revealing not only the hereditary nature of her and Alexia's cannibalism, but also how their mom has found a way to live with the condition herself, treating him like her own charcuterie board, and having done so since they met while attending uh, the same vet school that Alexia and Justine attend. Autonomy factors in here because we get a sense that mom, at least if not both mom and dad, are putting both girls on a very specific path for a sense of control. Mom has found a way to manage, and if she can will her girls to go down the exact same path, they'll achieve the same outcome and find this and, and find their own living lunchable uh, and live what she conceives as a normal life. But it obviously didn't pan out that way. And the film ends with dad telling Justine, you'll find a solution, honey. Two reads of this line and this moment. All parents want the best for their kids, but they are often operating off of what they think is best and failing to account for the fact that they may not, that that may not be what their kid wants. And this is a moment of realization that maybe their plan isn't the best for their kid. Now the disability spin. Medical science evolves. New medications, new treatments or therapies. What works for one person to manage their condition isn't going to work for everyone. And this applies to inherited illnesses as well. I am diagnosed with a disease that was passed down from a parent or grandparent. I don't think it's a stretch to assume that the treatment route I pursue is going to look different from someone 
diagnosed at a different point in time for a whole slew of reasons. Now, this serves as a good transition to talk about the sibling relationship that I think is really the heart of the film, because autonomy still kind of factors in here as well. Alexia, the wild card older sister, fills in for mom by kind of exercising control over Justine a bit. Justine doesn't want to eat the rabbit kidney during the hazing, but instead of using her position as an upperclassman to support Justine in her choice, she strong arms her. And just like mom, probably with good intentions of having her get through this hazing ritual, uh, you know, forces her to eat the rabbit kidney. And just like with mom, Alexia has been in Justine's shoes, not only by being at the same school and going through the same program, the same hazing ritual, but Justine finds the tube of the same cream she was prescribed for her rash in Alexia's medicine cabinet when she stays over one night. Justine discovering that her sister had the same reaction to eating meat and us getting to see how awful that rash was with Justine, eating one small bit of meat, essentially leading uh, her and them uh, to kind of shed their skin, is the obvious cannibalism as disability uh, pinpoint here. And it probably spurs a bit of relief that maybe someone else can relate to what Justine is experiencing. Outside of academics, Justine seems to latch on to Alexia as a steward through a lot of these new experiences. The relationship is a very realistic big sibling, little sibling relationship where the older of the pair is a mentor, but also an antagonizer a bit. When I've talked about sibling relationships in previous episodes, it has always been one disabled sibling and one not, and exploring how disability impacts the dynamic. But here, both have the same condition. Alexia and Justine are, of course, unique individuals, and they deal with their inherited cannibalism uh, in different ways to reflect that. Justine, being the more reserved and quiet of the two, seems to be operating from a place of fear and shame. Alexia, the wild card in Rebel, seems to be operating from a place of anger. Perhaps resentful, she didn't have someone showing her the way like she's doing for her sister. And of course, good old fashioned sibling rivalry factors in here as well. As I've said many times before, disability isn't a monolith and neither are those of us that are disabled. Everyone's experiences are unique, and I think this puts a, a wonderful uh, point to that. This isn't to say that Justine never advocates for herself for what she needs or wants, increasingly so throughout the film. She attacks Alexia when she discovers the video of her and the corpse. It's a pretty brutal act of retaliation for someone that didn't say a word when her sister shoved a raw rabbit kidney in her mouth or when she didn't really stand up to her mom at that beginning scene in the diner when you know she didn't want her mom to make a fuss about the meat and the mashed potatoes. 
she's struggling with the onset of the cannibal syndrome and everything it entails for her body and mind. But we get glimpses of a young woman slowly becoming more comfortable in her own skin despite that fact. The film makes a small connect here between cannibalism and burgeoning sexuality, but even this had a very specific disability read to me. I posit that sex for the women in this family warrants accommodations, much like individuals with disability will sometimes need accommodations when having sex. It seems like sex or intimate contact amps up their anger, so accommodations are necessary. During sex with Adrian, Justine bites herself to keep from biting Adrian, and she quickly uh, jumps back and separates herself from the guy she kisses at the party and subsequently takes a chunk of his lip before she can do more damage. Based on where dad is missing chunks of flesh, we assume mom isn't taking a bite out of him while they're having game night with the neighbors or out for a walk. When I started having sex, I had to go through the whole process of disclosure. Uh, I had a medicine and feeding port on my side up until a few years ago. And I would have to awkwardly tell someone before sex so they wouldn't be surprised or even grossed out in some situations and strategizing or accommodating so the experience wouldn't end up in a trip to the emergency room for me. There have been more than one instance where, you know, things are going along great and, uh, you know, my tube would get yanked and it was not pleasant for anyone involved. So, um, you know, self-accommodation and, you know, working through that with your partner or partners is something that is important. And we see kind of the start of that for Justine. You know what? Looking at my nose, I think that gets to all of the main points I wanted to hit on for Raw. This is kind of a shorter episode, but nothing wrong with that. As you probably noticed, I didn't put in the trailer as I like to do with these episodes because all of the episodes were just music. Um, so it seemed kind of beside the point. Um, so I think that's kind of making it a bit shorter as well. But, you know, nothing wrong with brevity. I really love, love this movie. I think that's pretty obvious. You know, as someone that adores body horror, there are some really beautifully repulsive moments here. And I appreciate how the narrative builds. I think we've explored a little bit of that, how, you know, you are constantly learning new little bits of information and it's making you reassess uh, previous scenes. It's really well structured. Now, I mentioned seeing Titane, and Ducournau is definitely playing with some similar themes. And the body horror remains on point. So if you like Raw, I think you'll really enjoy Titane. 
as well. And with that, please make sure you are subscribed to the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad feed. I say it every week. I feel so fortunate to be part of such a wonderful group of voices and am beyond appreciative of Anatomy of a Scream for giving Bodies of Horror its home. If you want to reach out to me and say hello, please do. You can shoot me an email at bodiesofhorror at gmail.com. You can reach out to me on Twitter at bodiesofhorror. And yeah, say hello if you have suggestions of films that you think would be interesting to cover here. I would love that as well because I can only research and scour so many corners uh, to find films that I think make uh, some interesting uh, coverage here. So if you have ideas for films that you think would be really cool to delve into, please, 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 please uh, drop me a line. So again, thank you so, so much for listening. I do hope that you are enjoying season two so far. There's still more to come. So until next time. Scream Pod Squad.